Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. And so this text that was the text was the lectionary scripture for that last year. And he was talking about all these pastors, certain kind of pastors that like to finish a certain kind of way. And he was like, you know, some scriptures don't call for that. Some scriptures you can't take to the cross and close out. And we were going back and forth in our playful banner. And he said, well, what's the lectionary scripture for this weekend? And it was Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And he said, you can't take that to the cross. And I said, oh, yes, I can. interesting man I remember because he had dreads that went all the way down to his feet and he would only cut them when he started to trip over them and uh, it wasn't for any reason it wasn't like he was embracing some sort of philosophy or principle he just dedicated every waking moment he had to improving himself and his desired craft of theology and he felt like taking the time to get a haircut got in the way of that. But I remember taking this class, I remember it because number one, I had to buy 18 books for the class. And I also remember it because of his thought process and he didn't activate his blackboard, which was a website where we could submit work electronically. He still preferred handwritten midterms and finals. And I remember that, and I also remember taking all of these morality classes, because moral theology was essentially a philosophy class. And I remember reading a book about morality, morality by a man by the name of Robin Lubin. And Robin Lubin talked about all of these different types of morality, and he, called, he talked about a type of morality called deontology. Big old $5 word that basically meant following rules. And so with those people who thought about morality and everything that was right, and they said that the way you live the good life is to follow rules. And then there was another one that was teleology. And teleology was not about rules. It was about achievement or the uh, accomplishment of a goal. And so to them, the good life was not necessarily following rules. I don't really care how you get there. I just care that you get there. And then there was another one that was called a theology, which was a big old $5 word for habits. And the way that people became good was by following good habits. And he said that when we teach children, we don't 
We, we, when we watch or when we teach children, we can put all kinds of rules in front of them and we can, we can uh, say we want certain things done a certain way or we cannot care how it gets done. We just want them to be good. But the fact of the matter is, especially when you're dealing with kids, is they watch you. And they watch your habits. And when they watch your habits, they pick up on the things that you do and then some of the stuff that you do sort of rubs off on them. And so you can tell certain families or certain people that are related because sometimes they have certain habits that they pass down. And I think about that when I look at this text because these wise men had some habits that they could pass down. Uh, according uh, to the gospel, according to Matthew, this was done during the time of King Herod. You know, I like the lectionary because it follows a bit of a narrative. And, and so we're, you know, two Sundays removed from Christmas. And so now we're talking about this baby Jesus. Amen. And, and, and so what's going on is this King Herod is Herod the Great. And he ruled uh, Judea from 37 B.C. or B.C.E., depending on what you like to call it, before Christ or before Common Era, until about 4 B.C. or B.C.E. And he was initially the governor of Galilee. And, and, and after surviving several attempts to have him deposed, uh, he was appointed to govern all of Judea and was appointed the king of Judea, also known as the king of the Jews. And he had been proven to be a shrewd ruler. When you consult secular sources about King Herod, he had all kind of technology of the time added to Judea under his rulership. Ductways and roadways and all of these things happened. Judea became prosperous because of King Herod. Things happen. They got, they got to live a little better, but everything is about to be turned on its head in the text. Uh, because there is a Messiah that was prophesied to be born, a savior, a real king of the Jews that was prophesied to be born, and now he has been born. Amen. And then we have the request to see the Messiah. Amen. You have these wise men. The text says, wise men traveled to Jerusalem. Uh, let me read it again. Now, after the days of, in Judea, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They say that the third time's a charm, so I'm going to read it again. Now that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. You know what's missing there? The number of wise men. It doesn't say three. But we love these nativity scenes with a baby in a manger and three wise men by him. It doesn't say how old Jesus is in the text either. 
We passed Christmas, so I'm going to mess up your Christmas just a little bit now that we passed it. Doesn't say how old Jesus was in the text. Doesn't mention the number of wise men. And they're giving Jesus gifts, not each other. Sorry, sorry. Just I'm just in the Bible. That's all. I'm, I'm responsible. I'm in the Bible. I'm responsible for teaching. And so these wise men, uh, the word for wise men is also used uh, magi in some translations, or astrologer, or magician. The same Greek word that is used for the wise men in Matthew 2 is uh, used for those other words otherwhere. That's why I say be like the magi. And another reason I say we got to be like the Magi is because they move on the basis of Scripture. Uh, They know the Scripture. They know that this Messiah was prophesied to be born, and they make a move on it. They don't just sit around on their laurels. They didn't admire the star. They followed it. And they went to pay homage, which was the same word that is translated to worship. Uh, We ought to be like the Magi. When we see the scripture, we ought not just say that's a real good scripture. That's a real good word. We ought to be able to do something about it. Uh, We ought to be able to be in our words and not come to church for information or revelation. We ought to be coming to the church for confirmation. And so we want to be like the Magi. We need to move on the scripture and not just sit on our laurels. And so they start this journey and they get a public meeting with King Herod. And the Magi say, where is this king of the Jews? Uh, And the monarch, there's a request to to see the Messiah. And when there's a request to see the Messiah, there is a reaction from the monarch. Uh, and he's concerned. Uh, everything that I've read when I looked up on that Greek word, concerned is really not a good enough word. Greatly troubled, scurred, horrified. This is troubling to him. Uh, and so the text gives us a time and a place that this is going on. And Herod is placed in power by the Romans. That's why he's not necessarily a favorite character in the Bible. Uh, because when we are right during this time that the text is written, the Jewish people, the people of God, are being oppressed by the Romans. And so while Herod is, quote-unquote, the king of the Jews, he was put in place by some people that didn't vote for, I mean, that didn't, uh, that, that didn't worship this person. And so King Herod is put in place. Uh, and Martin Luther King Jr. once wrote, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a writing called Equality Now, he said that MLK, that history is the long and tragic story of the fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily. Amen. So when you are used to being in charge and there is somebody else that is coming up that is going to possibly knock you off of your position take your title away, people will do everything in their power to keep that title. They'll do everything in their power to stay president. They'll do everything in their power to stay king. They'll do everything in their power to stay over that committee. They'll do everything in their power to make the church look like they want it to look and only have the type of people that they want to come join the church. 
is the microphone working? I mean, we, we had a little technical difficulties at the beginning, but it's working. Hello, hello, hello. Here you have this king that was put in power by the oppressor. But he knows about these scriptures and he's got people around him that know about these scriptures and they tell him that even though he's in charge, somebody who's really in charge is coming down the pipeline. Ah, and so the first question that both the Magi and the king ask is where? They ask where because the prophecy said the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem and from Nazareth. And Matthew, I like the gospel of Matthew for some things. If, if I had to pick some of one over the other, I'm probably like Mark better because it's shorter. But when you get into the parallel gospels, when you compare all four stories together, Matthew covers some things that aren't covered in the other gospels. And this is one of those stories. Uh, and so Matthew is trying to let you understand that this is some, not, not some fly-by-night occurrence. Uh, this is something that is going on between the pages and the gospel according to Matthew are letting you know that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. All over the Old Testament there are prophecies about when the Messiah is coming, when the, the Savior is coming and what he's going to look like and what he's, what he's, what he's going to do and where is he from and some of the things that are going to happen. And so these things are covered in the gospel according to Matthew and they're laying upon a foundation that was already laid out in the Old Testament that I know some of us don't like to read but the parts of the Bible we do like rest upon the parts of the Bible that we don't like ah, and so Matthew is letting us know that this is a fulfillment of a prophecy this is a fulfillment of the scripture this is a fulfillment of Micah the prophet uh, if you're taking notes Micah 5 and 2 is where this is being fulfilled and, 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 and so Herod has had a lengthy time as a t uh, uh, being in charge as king of the Jews and so it's not it's no wonder that if some people come from out of town asking where is the king of the Jews and you supposed to be the king of the Jews that would be something to be scared of uh, this is a concern because the ruling class is in charge they're benefiting more from the advances that King Herod has made in the Jerusalem and all over Judea. And so they have this sign that is reported that things are about to change. And so, of course, they want to know where. Because they want to know where, not so that they can really come and worship. They want to know where so that they can tear it down. Hmm. And so the ministers, you, you, you have this, this, this uh, request from the Magi, and there's a reaction from the monarch, and then there's a reply from the ministers. He gathers all of these people around, these, these uh, scribes and these priests and these people that know the scripture, and they tell him that he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. They go find Micah 5 and 2, 4, King Herod, and tell him this is where he's supposed to do. And so Herod gets a private meeting. And he asked just about when did they see this star, this sign that lets them know that the Messiah was going to be born. He demands to know when they're going to be born. And his response after he gets the demand is to try to deceive the Magi, saying, let them know when they find the child. Let him know when they find the child so that he can worship too. 
Uh, we got to be careful about who we tell our business to. I always go back and forth with this, this, this demand and these things that I hear about people when, you know, you tell somebody to pray for you. And they ask, what for? And then they say, well, I want to be specific when I pray. But time and time again, they don't necessarily want to be specific when they pray. They want to be specific when they gossip about your problem to other people. And so they, they have this deception. But the wise men go on anyway. Understanding another reason that we need to be like the Magi. Number one, we need to be moved by scripture and not just read it and enjoy it and say that's a good word. We got to do something about it. But the next thing we also got to do and be like the Magi is when we have those people around us that don't mean us no good. We don't stop what we're doing. I, I'm a simple man and I like simple things and I understand that when we, you play basketball, if you are the biggest threat to score, you're going to get double teamed. When you play football, they tackle the person that is trying to score. If somebody is trying to do something to you, that means you are worth something. There is some potential in you. There is a threat to score. You are a danger to the enemy. Uh, to quote a song, if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. Uh, time and time again, I'd go to football practice and I'd understand that the coach would fuss at those he thought could be better. There was nothing more disheartening to see somebody mess up and the coach don't say anything and just say next play. That meant they thought that there was nothing in you, there was nothing better. And so I got to understand that when I go through these things, I don't despise the chastisement. I understand that I'm going through a process. I understand that I'm going through a fire and I'm going to come out on the other end as pure gold. Ah, and so the wise men rejoice when they find the child. Uh, da, da, da. When they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Uh, when they come into the house, and, and I'm in verse 11, and when they co had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And when they had come into the house, they being the magi, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the people we need to be like, they... Again, I'm not seeing how old he is. They came into the house and they worshipped him. They followed the star. And it led them to the place that they needed to go. And so if we were to, to, to be like the magi. Understand that the Magi were following scripture. We need to follow scripture. And we need to move on the scripture. We need to be led to act on our faith. And the Magi went looking for Jesus. They didn't wait for Jesus to come to them. Yeah. I say that the Magi 
went looking for Jesus. They didn't wait for Jesus to come to them. I understand that we will live these times and go through some changes and not be able to know which way is up. I understand that there will come some times where we may not be able to move, we may not be able to think, but in our day-to-day lives, we ought to be seeking after Jesus and not expecting everything to just fall in our lap. We ought to be seeking after Jesus. When we see the signs, we ought to be willing to move and not just stand still and expect everything to come to us. And so they were told when they saw this warning, uh, when they, they were warned in a dream after they gave Jesus gifts, not each other, after they gave Jesus gifts, not each other. I know I'm messing up some nativity scenes. But they gave Jesus the gifts. Because it's not your birthday. They gave Jesus the gifts. And then they were told, they were warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. Ah, They departed for their own country another way because they were divinely warned in a dream not to go back to where they were going because had they gone back, there is no telling what King Herod would have done to them to try to get that information out. And if you read your Bibles and once you get to Matthew 3 and lay on, Herod tried to kill everybody two years old and under. Once he, found, once he had realized where Jesus was at and Jesus had to go with Mary and Joseph, they had to take Jesus into Egypt and hide him. I mean, this ain't part of the sermon, but I figure I'll bring it up. Uh, how would you be able to hide in Egypt? I mean, if you're hiding somewhere, you need to be able to blend in, right? Just a thought. But he said King Herod went to, and later on in the text went to kill every child under two. So again, we don't know how old he is. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty wide range going to kill everybody under two. And so they understood that if he was willing to kill the Messiah, if he was willing to kill the, the incoming king of the Jews, there's no telling what he'd do to some advisory staff. There's no telling what he would do to them, but they were, they were warned and they went another way. There will be coming some times in our lives where we will need that divine inspiration to go another way. Uh, everything that will be in our body will tell us that this job is not for us, but we'll end up with it another way. Everything in our body will tell us that there is sickness in our body, but we'll be able to get out of it because God is able to provide another way. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We'll be able to find another way. We'll be able to take that other way and get out of those dangers seen and unseen. We'll be able to take another way. I could have been dead sleeping in my own grave right around about March of 1998. I could have been gone, but there was another way. Another way. And I'm tickled that this is the scripture for this time being. You know, I've been here over a year now. And, and those that will recall, I was kind of in and out uh, of, of Dickinson because I had to keep going to Dallas 
to take my last handful of classes to graduate. And so right around this time last year, I was taking a class called Preaching in the Postmodern Pulpit. Ah, there's a whole philosophy around pre-modern and modern thinking and post-modern and, 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 and evangelical and all of these different mindsets and what the people think of and how they operate. And I, I won't bore you with the details this sermon about the differences between all of them, but I thought about it because this would have been one Sunday to the week when I was in that class. And uh, uh, the professor kind of liked to tease me time and time again. Number one, because I was taking more preaching classes than I needed to graduate. You only need one preaching class to graduate now, and they used to make you take two so you could get ordained by the Texas Annual Conference, but now they've changed that so you don't even need two preaching classes to get ordained, but I still ended up taking three preaching classes because I like to preach. And I'm fascinated by the craft of preaching, so I figured if I'm going to have to pay $80,000 for a degree that I can only use in one profession, I might as well bone up on the preaching classes. But this pre preaching professor liked to tease me, and he'd been teasing me since intro to preaching because it don't matter where I start. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. It doesn't matter where I start. We all know where I'm finishing. Y'all been around for a year, y'all all know where I'm finishing. And so this text that was the text was the lectionary scripture for that last year. And he was talking about all these pastors, certain kind of pastors, that like to finish a certain kind of way. And he was like, you know, some scriptures don't call for that. Some scriptures you can't take to the cross and close out. And we were going back and forth in our playful banner. And he said, well, what's the lectionary scripture for this weekend? And it was Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And he said, you can't take that to the cross. And I said, oh, yes, I can. <laughs> and gave to Jesus. They gave him gold. Now, scholars go back and forth about how much gold he actually got in there. Some that say that he had enough gold from them to be set for the rest of his life. I don't know how much gold it is, but they gave him gold. Why? Because he was a king. And then they gave him frankincense. And frankincense is an ingredient that is used in making the perfume for the most holy place in the tabernacle. Exodus 30 and 34, if you're taking notes, it's a resinous substance that is derived from certain trees in the balm family. And that's frankincense that, that was given to him along with the gold. So they gave him gold because he was a king. And they gave him frankincense because they needed to worship him. But then they also gave him myrrh. Uh, and what is myrrh? Myrrh is an aromic resin. And they got it that's used in Genesis 37, Exodus 30, Exodus 2, Psalm 45, John 19 and 39, and also in this text. Uh, but what is the myrrh used for? It's a resin having many uses in the ancient Near East. It was traded along with spices 
and it was used as an ingredient for anointing oil, and it was applied as perfume. But you know what else it was also used? It was used to deodorize clothes. But that myrrh was also used for something else. It was to help embalm bodies. Oh, so they gave him the gold because he was a king. Uh, they gave him the frankincense because he was the one that needed to be worshipped. And they gave him the myrrh because he had to die for our sins, for your sins and my sins. And he had to take all them sins on the cross. So they understood when he was less than two years old that somewhere down the line there was going to be a Friday morning on a hill called Calvary and they were going to take my Savior and string him up between two thieves and he was going to die. He was going to die until the moon was dipped in blood. He was going to die until the earth reeled and rocked like a natural man. He was going to die until the centurion said, surely, surely this must be the son of God. But that's not where the story ends. Early three days later, he was going to get up with all power in his hands. So if we got to be like the Magi, we got to understand that he's the king. We got to understand that we need to worship him. And we understand that he died for our sins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook. 